Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. A certain amount, a certain amount of self-loathing is healthy for the psyche because self-loathing um, is a cousin to self-critique. And if you're not willing to do self-critique, then you're not going to really know yourself and be willing to change. And, and sometimes it dips into self-loathing. And I'm, I'm saying this somewhat wink-wink. And what I mean by that in context is I live my modern, egalitarian, traditional, open-minded, progressive, conservative, Masorti Judaism with an enormous amount of joy and embrace and an enormous amount of wondering, is this the right path after all? Because, and it's not that I, I'm not going to do it. And I don't imagine my making an enormous change from this, but I, but, but there's something about the mixture of religion, which almost by definition is about the security of knowing you're doing something right rather than wrong. And an open-mindedness and curiosity about many different ways of doing things that can convince you, I think properly to be a multiculturalist and to, ha and to have a hetero, hetero, heterodoxy when it comes to ideas. It's not a coincidence, and, and it's okay to have a certain amount of envy about this. It's not a coincidence that our brand of Judaism, that we're all living hopefully with great pride is just not as um, certain to produce great grandchildren who see the world as we do, as the more extreme representations of it. Now, that's not a reason to convert to being a Haredi, but to be blind to the phenomenon that trying to be committed to inherited tradition and not wishy-washy, that, that, that is not a fair way of saying it, but to be more malleable and to be open to other ideas it's a tough proposition to sell, right? And it may be either the most beautiful expression of religious life or the most bizarre undoing of what religious life was meant to be, or as is almost often the case when I do teaching, a combination of the two. That, that's my intro into um, a little look into Parsha Ray today. And hopefully those on Zoom, the, the text she went out in the Shabbat email. The first, text on the sheet is simply the first verse from the Parsha that Rosemary read a few weeks ago. Re'e, see, God is speaking to the Jewish people through Moshe in, this, in the uh, first person singular. It's not re'u, it's re'e, as if God is speaking to a nation, the unity of the nation. Anochi, I. Anochi and ani in some ways are um, Synonyms, but Anochi is evocative of the Ten Commandments, because that's how the Ten Commandments begin. So I, the very one who revealed myself to you on uh, Har Sinai, notain lifnechem, I am placing, I'm giving before you, ayom today, bracha uklala, right? a blessing and a curse. We know this verse, we, co we quote this verse, uh, it's a very familiar verse, it's a very stark verse, right? What's stark about it is that you have this way or that way, one of them is right and one of them is wrong. And it's either that one of them is right or wrong for you, like you will be blessed, you will be cursed, or maybe one of them is right with a capital R. It's actually the only way to go. And therefore, if you don't do that, you're going in the wrong direction. 
That is a foundational principle of religious life. We want, we struggle with it sometimes, particularly when co-religionists say but, that we've chosen the wrong way, right? But that is a foundational principle of Jewish life and of religious life, right? Choose this way, be, not, not just because it's nice, it's not just because it's okay, it's not just because it's acceptable, it is right. And if you don't choose this way, it is wrong. Anytime a member of our own tradition chastises me individually or us as a community, probably practice Judaism, I both get my hackles up and I'm furious and I'm defensive. And I also try to pause and jump into that person's consciousness and realize that he or she really does think that what he or she is doing when it comes to Jewish expression is right, not just kind of right, not just one of the rights, but right. And therefore, if we do it differently, we are wrong. We have chosen the cursed way. If you look at um, the second translation on Safaria, there are like nine or 10 different translations of the Torah. This one was recently added. We found it as we were uh, in our Rashi class. I do not know who the gentleman is, Charles Kahana. Um, I don't know if he's related to other famous Kahanas, uh, but he wrote a commentary, not a, com well, mostly a translation of the Torah now almost uh, 60 years ago. And he takes some license as he translates. And some of that, some of the license as he translates is actually interesting. He writes it this way, said Moses, Mark, that's the A, instead of C, I set before you today a blessing and its reverse. It's interesting how he changes, changes curse into reverse. Charles Kahana did not not know what the word klala meant. This is not, he was confused by the word. He knows that klala means reverse. And it also may just be a coincidence they chose a word that rhymes with curse. But what would you say, and I don't know if we have other microphones on the table here, so I'll have to repeat for people on Zoom. What would you say is the impact of choosing to translate bracha and klala, not as blessing and curse, but blessing and its reverse? How does that change the meaning of it, Brant? Uh-huh. 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 Great. So what Brand is offering is that perhaps by translating it as blessing and its reverse, it softens the binary a bit. It softens the dichotomy. You've got blessing over here. And sometimes we go in the wrong direction a bit. But once you put the car in reverse, but you can eventually put it into drive again. Interesting. I, I have no idea that's what Kahana meant by translating that way, but it's, but it's an interesting way of reading it. Anyone else, the difference between hearing it translated as blessing and curse versus blessing and its reverse? Deborah? Uh-huh. Good. So what Deborah's saying is that may, maybe by translating it this way, again, similar to Brandt, he's, he's trying to compl complicate things a bit as if it's not just an obvious right or wrong, but that sometimes that which you do in the name of or in the direction of blessing can, can reverse on itself and it can under, undermine you. Okay? Interesting possibilities. Eric? Right. Great. So maybe by translating and, and it's reversed, it's almost making them closer to one another. So on, on this side is blessing. Flip it over and it's, it's reverse, which means that if you flip it over again, you're back to blessing as if as if it's all too easy to toggle in between them. Okay, so that those are some comments on the translation. Now I want to look at a commentary by Ovadia Sforno, a 15th century, 16th century, 15th or 16th century Italian commentator. Look what he says on uh, this notion. So the the Dibur Amachil, the word that he is commenting on is the word re. Look, this is what he says. Habita ure, he adds just a synonym for look, like discern and look. Uh, the translation on the left is not my translation. Uh, it's, it's a combination of whatever translation was on, on uh, Safari and mine. So whoever translated here turned it into pay good attention instead of two different verbs. Uh, look, you know, investigate and look. Shalo ye inyancha, that your inyan, inyan means a matter, but here it means like a way, a way of, of living your life. This is so that the way you live, 
al ofen benoni, that you don't just stay in the middle. Don't be parav, be milchik or fleshik, or recognize, well, I should say, I say you should be parav, but, but, but this is an anti-vegan, anti-vegan, right? Recognize that there's milchiks and there's fleshiks, and one of them is right and one of them is wrong, right? Don't choose the middle path, and if you want a colorful way of understanding uh, what Sforna said, ask Brand for him to speak to you offhand, because he had a nice quip to me. I don't know if it's, if it's public, if it's public worthy. Um, but this is so that you don't live your life in the center, right? Which is where a lot of us like to live our lives some of the time. Maybe the Sforna would say that's cowardice, or maybe the Sforno is wrong. I don't mind the Sforno being wrong, but that's how he's reading the verse. After all, this is the minhag, the culture, of the other nations. I don't really know what he means by that. I'm trying to imagine 15th, 16th century Italian commentator. What does he think about Christianity and Christendom? What does he think about the non-Jewish culture that suggests that they are constantly in the middle? Because I could imagine one could think the opposite, that they're living a life of, of, of an extreme devotion to a god and understand that we rejected that God, and therefore they're willing to persecute us ad nauseum. But on some level, he believes that they are middle straddlers, and we, because of this um, uh, commentary here, on, because of the verse, are supposed to only go, go one way and not the other. Ki omnam, and granted, I, I, I elided something. I mentioned Sephorno as if he's speaking about his contemporary time, and we all are on some level, in context, he's actually explaining what God is saying to the Israelites as if the Canaanites and the Jebusites and all the people around them were the ones who were, who were keeping the middle path, whereas God wanted us to choose a specific path. Because after all, Sforno is saying that God is saying to Israelites, I'm placing before you an easy choice. Bracha ukala, a blessing and a curse. They are extremes. This goes back to what Eric was saying before, like that they're, they're the farthest they can be from one another, and yet somehow they, 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 are, they are closer than, than, than what you would imagine. What is this blessing of which I speak? Think of hatzlacha, success, thriving. We all want to thrive and have success that's sufficient. He's saying that the bracha is success beyond what you need. Not necessarily material success, but not, not material success either, right? And whatever you imagine is down that path, you know, down that Willy Wonka path, it's greater even than that. It's, it's more than you could possibly need. That ayin sadi probably means altsad, on the side of hayotertov, the exceedingly, exceedingly good. There, this path will lead you not just to sufficiency, but excellence in every aspect of your life. Vahaklala and the curse. He mechaseret. You might know the word lechaser means to reduce. A meira is a synonym for a curse. It's a curse that reduces, a curse that constantly drains. How is it translated here? Constantly diminishes. Shalo yusag hamaspik. That no matter how much you toil and travail in that direction, you will never gain sufficiency. You'll always be lacking. So on this side, You'll never, no matter how much you lack, you'll never lack because you'll have sufficiency ad infinitum. And on this side, no matter how much you work for it, you'll never have enough. And they're both in front of you. Why would you ever choose this way over that way? They're both in front of you to gain. 
based on what you choose. So the Sforno is making it very, very stark, right? I, God, am giving you a choice. You can choose it. There's, there's no reason why you can't choose it. And I'm laying out the stakes of the choice. Why anyone would choose this over that, I have no idea. I'm sure you've confronted people within our religion and beyond our religion who are that certain. Why have you not accepted Christ? It's right in front of you. Just, just accepting the redemption is right there. How, how stupid can you be? Why would you not choose this path? Accept it, and you'll have uh, the, you know, the world to come, and, and you don't have to live in doubt anymore. right? And people who believe that, believe it. I know that's not tautology, but they, they, when they say they believe it, they believe it. And members of our own tradition, right, who are so certain about the way they see God and Torah and religious practice, I can imagine the sanctus, what are you, what are you doing? Like, like wh- why are you vacillating? It's so obvious. And look how, look how rich this life is. After all, God said it was the case. And by the way, we have versions of that as well. You don't have to name names, but there are people who are living their lives, their Jewish lives and their non-Jewish lives in such a way where we might say to ourselves and to other, how could they possibly believe that about Judaism, about Torah, about America, about Israel? It's so obvious. Like, choose this way, which is so clear. Why would you choose the cursed way? We could choose the blessed way. We all have aspects of our commitment to our ideas and principles that feel comfortable in a Sforno mode. We don't like it. We bristle at it when people throw it at us. And we feel wonderful when we can throw it at others. Why would you ever believe that? You don't have to believe that. Believe this instead. You plead guilty, Irv. <laughs> you plead guilty to what, in the, Irv, in this regard? Uh-huh. Do you have any doubt about your certainty? <laughs> Once in a while. Look, that's the most Jewish answer possible. I love it, right? I plead guilty in the certainty. Sometimes, you know, I'm a little, a little doubt about it. Sandra? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So Sandra's wondering again, which could repeat for those on Zoom, is this about a a personal certainty, in which case, why shouldn't you feel certain that you're choosing the right thing for you versus a certainty that you're imposing on other people? And of course the the rub is that we're certain that we know what is good and what is evil, and therefore we're certain that those who disagree with us are wrong, but they're also certain, right? I made that leap. Uh, okay, so that's this forno. Let's go t- back a few generations to the Rambam, Maimonides, 12th century Spain, Morocco, Israel, Egypt, um, one of the great Jewish minds ever to have lived, and famous, in fact, infamous, for in some ways understanding the whole range of ideas totally differently than Sforno. He's not famous for conflicting with Sforno. He's famous and they get what we're about to read happens to conflict with what Sforno said before. And before we read this, I want to make something clear. Because conservative Jews love to claim Rambam, right? He would have supported us had he been alive in our day. He was an exceedingly from Jew. Like he, 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 he wrote the, the book, the original book of Jewish law, right? Upon which everything else was copied on some level. So he's talking here in this section, not necessarily about like wishy-washiness about your observance, but how you hold yourself in the world which means he's gonna make the claim that you can be incredibly focused and on punctilious religious observance and not be a jerk about it in your life and not, and not walk around with a, a puffy certainty that, um, that ends up saying more about who you are than how you make your tea on Shabbat, okay? This is, um, the, the Mishnah Torah is his code of Jewish law. He begins his Mishnah Torah 
um, which ends up being um, a fully comprehensive code of Jewish law, including regarding defunct uh, rituals such as the temple, because he lived a thousand years more after the temple stood. But he begins it with philosophy. It's not his primary philosophical work, but he begins it with philosophy. Hilchot Yisodeh HaTorah, the laws of the of the foundational principles of Torah, which talks about his cosmology, understanding how the world came to be, and God is the prime mover, very influenced by Aristotelian philosophy. And then in the second section, the Hilchot Deot, it's translated, this is not my translation, as, as, as the laws of human dispositions. Okay, a daya is a, is a piece of knowledge, an idea. So it's, it's almost like his little treatise on his ideas about ideas and his ideas about how you hold ideas. And this is one of the famous places where Rambam lays out his, his philosophy of thinking and on being. Every person has lots of deot. So how you translate deot will impact how you, what you think he's saying. So it could be ideas, but it could be dispositions or character traits. It's hard to know. It's, if you're in my Rashi class on Wednesdays, you know that the translation problem hovers per perpetually. It's impossible to translate even a simple Hebrew word to a simple English word 800 years after it was written. We can guess, we can get close, we can't get there. And, and each person, each of these traits has representations of it that are extremes of one another. And he's going to give you examples. There's a person who is filled with butter. No, just kidding. Anger. Um, he's a person of chema. He's a person of fury. The ko'es tamid is always angry. And that's a person whose, whose mind is always settled upon him or her. They know ko'es, not angry. Klal, at all. And if he happens to be angry, there'll be a tiny little burst of fury. Once in every few years. A Sforno approach to this, by the way, would say what? Don't be angry. Choose the second path, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a blessing and a curse. It's cursed to live your life representing fury. So since there's a way of doing it where, you're own, where people say, God, I don't remember the last time that guy was mad, choose that. You would think that, that would be what would be the appropriate way. Second, third paragraph. V'yesh adam shehu lev biyoter. It's a person who is very... Um, High in his in his heart, uh, which is a way of saying prideful. The Yeshu who ruach There's someone who's very very humble. Again, you can imagine saying, "Don't be proud, be humble." The Yeshu who bal ta'ava lotas tizba. There's a person who has appetites that cannot be satisfied. Lotizba nafsho mehalach No matter what this person does, he or she can never have his or her appetites sated. There's a person who has a pure heart, which I think he understands to mean as just not needing much. It's not necessarily kindness. We might say leif tahor as a person is kind. Here I think he's saying like your, 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 your heart is so full and pure, you don't really need much else to be okay. Has no desire even for the small things that a person uh, might even need. Again, you have a couple examples where you can imagine someone saying, don't be angry, don't be prideful, don't be constantly driven by your appetites. Be calm, be humble, and, and allow your appetites to like dissipate and focus on things that matter the most, right? You can imagine where, that someone would, would weigh in that that's the way to approach it. That's not what the Rambam says. Uh, I skipped one halakha, this is another third halakha. Shtek tzavot harachokot zomizo. 
The two extremes of these traits are very, very far from one another. It is not the right way to choose either of these two extremes. It is not appropriate for a person to go in that way and not to teach yourself. Don't delude yourself into thinking that if you've chosen the path that seems to be the opposite of the evil path, but you've taken that to an extreme, that there's anything good in that. That is a delusion. It's a delusion that to be the opposite of, of prideful is glorious. Right? There is a sin in too much humility. There is a sin in not being willing to be angry at anything. There is a sin in not having desire, noticing what your body uh, might need and might want. Go to the next uh, page, top of page three. If you are honest with yourself, I'm interpolating, and you notice yourself kind of tending towards one side, or more ready for one side, or or you already became rather learned and, and, and practiced in one of them, the Nahagba, and you're on a path, go back. Turn towards pride a little bit if you have been too humble. Turn towards a certain type of anger if you haven't gotten angry at anything in a long time. Go back to the good, which is found, opposites foreign on some level, in the center. And that way you will go in the path of the good ones. That is the straight path. Right? This is, uh, there, he says this in many places. This is one of the famous places he says it. Next halacha. What's the right way to hold yourself? The middle path. It's sometimes translated, um, translated sometimes written by the Raman. It's the one in the center. Because uh, in, in all of these dispositions or ideas, mikol hadeot, sheesh lo adam, in any way that a person could hold herself. What's the right path? It's the place on the geometric map that is as equally far from each of the extremes. Right? Simple geometry, the center point on a line of two points. Rechuk shaveh, an equal distance from the extreme. Ve'ena krova lo lazo lo lazo. Don't feel like if you're closer to the utter absence of pride, you're better than the person who doesn't realize how prideful she is. It's actually being in the center, being equally far away from pridelessness is, is, the, is what you should, how you should hold yourself equally far away from pridelessness as you are from um, abundant pride. Now, what do you, I mean, first of all, you, you may have come across this either in, in actual text or people referencing it. What do you make of what Rambam is, is saying here? What, how does it speak to you? Reverse, because Sforno comes after, Sforno knew Rambam. Yeah. Sforno is uh, 15th, 16th century, Rambam is 11th, 12th century. But you, so you can make the opposite argument. Right, so the word benoni, either it's just a word or it's an intentionally used word to refute a previous position, right? And one of them, you know, that's why you can imagine why Masorti considered Jews like to claim the Rambam. We are the Benoni. We're, we're the road. We, we don't, we, we're, we're neither too from nor too anti-from. We're neither too religious nor too anti-religious. Neither too committed nor under-committed. Rambam is us. It's very convenient that we, we, we claim that. We claim Rambam. We claim all the good ones, right? Um, and, and Sforno is saying, like, Sforno is saying that God is saying, avoid the Benoni. Avoid 
just the path that it seems to be so careful. I'm not here. 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 Where am I? Right. In in the eighties and nineties, it was, you know, like every decade or so, the the language that we speak about um, the Jewish community changes. I remember the big conversations in USY and Ramah in the 1980s or 90s is that it was important for a conservative Jew to define herself not in negatives. I don't say that you're neither reformed nor orthodox, because then you're nothing, right? How do you define yourself in what you are, not what you're not? You can't define yourself by what you're not, right? And that's, and Sforno might be saying, yeah, because if you're just avoiding um, extremes, then you haven't actually chosen the blessing that's before you. The Rambam might say, the very purpose of establishing who you are and where you are is identifying the extremes and saying, I'm equally far from both of them, right? Now, uh, yes, Marlies. He's not giving a direct commentary on that verse, unlike Sfort, right? So I, I'm, I'm sort of com- comparing things that are not directly speaking to another. Sforno is giving a commentary in a verse of Torah. Rambam obviously knows Torah, but he's writing this not in a commentary form. He's writing it in his treatise about ideas. Deborah? Both. Right. Maybe. Maybe. Right. Maybe it's about um, tone and demeanor more than what you aver to be the, the proper religious path. But we can't, we can't interview him, so we don't know, but it's a possibility. W- one more comment, and then we'll look at the last text. Rosemary? Yes. Yes. So the Rambam famously never wrote a linear commentary on the Torah. He did so much, but he didn't do what Rashi did and what Sforno did, um, which was to say, this is what this verse means. This is what this verse means. This is what this verse means. I'd like to fantasize that had he written a commentary on the Torah, when he got to Parshat Re'eh, he would have said, what does bracha v'klala mean? Klala, well, bracha means staying in the center, right? It's that, that, that that is the blessed place away from the curses on both sides. But not everyone agrees with Rambam, right? There might be people in the room who say, but there's a certain, there are places in life where to, to, to stay in the center and to not take stands is in itself a, um, an approval of, of things that should not be improved, approved, uh, uh, should, not, should not get our approval, right? And that there's evil there. And I wanna end with this um, wonderful piece by Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. Uh, the great 20th century, 21st century Talmudist, most famously known for translating first the, the Aramaic Torah from a dense uh, Talmud in, into a very uh, digestible Hebrew, and then doing nearly the entire Talmud also in English. Um, a, tr- a tremendous contribution to Jewish life and thinking. Uh, I'll read just because I want to make sure that uh, people on the Zoom can hear. The golden mean, which is the middle way in between extremes, the medium between the different contradictions, is the basis of Maimonides' ethical theory. Maimonides speaks of avoiding extremism and choosing the moderate way in between extremes as the apex of Jewish, hum- Jewish and human elevation. And by the way, to you, Deborah, so I think Stein's also saying that it's not just about um, demeanor. It's actually the middle point between ideas, right? Like extremism of ideas, not just demeanor. Whether Steinsaltz is right about that read or not, I'm not sure. Um, but he's, but Steinsaltz is, is, not, is not a nobody. According to him, any tendency towards the extreme, even if that extreme is usually considered good, is tantamount to casting off the yoke and is a saddening deviation. Whereas the medium way is the good and true way. On the other hand, and in striking contradiction to this stands Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kutzka's, of Kutzka's approach to almost the same issue. By the way, the Kutzka Rebbe, 
uh, in the town of Poland was known for better or for worse as a fiery person. Not someone that was a lot of fun to spend a long time with. Um, a recluse, brilliant in his religious mind, um, but, but someone who would give rebuke without hesitation and was fierily committed to his ideas. And, he's, and the, um, one of Heschel's most wonderful books is comparing the philosophy and the demeanor of the Kutzker Rebbe with the Baal Shem Tov, who was the founder of Hasidut, whose Hasidic revolution the Kutzker Rebbe thought he was perpetuating, and actually was perpetuating, and the Baal Shem Tov was more of a Maimonidean in that his demeanor and his understanding of, of teaching Torah was calm and love and embrace and lack of judgment. And Kutzker Rebbe's Hasidu was a version of, how dare you? Both of them very, very committed Jews, different ways of wielding that Torah. Um, when this rabbi was once asked why he is so extreme in his views and conduct, he took the person who asked that to his window, which opened to the street and explained, you see, the two sides of the road are for human beings. Only horses walk in the middle. That is a cousin to, to the line that you said to me before, Brandt. The Kutzker Rebbe thus defined the middle way, the average between the extremes, which is what Maimonides said is the ultimate way, as the horse's path, the way animals walk. Men, women, must choose one extreme or the other, or else they are above. That's compelling too, right? Irv, you're like, you know, you become a Kutzker Rebbe fan, right? So, right, so the Kutzker says that, that that's... That's par of thinking, Maimonides. That's weak thinking. That's not, that's a lack of courage. And Maimonides might say back to the Kutzker as they spoke over hundreds of years, the way you're living is unsustainable. And there are going to be fewer and fewer people who are willing to spend time with you. And you're not even going to realize the extent to which you become a caricature of your, and as you castigate the extremes, extremists on the other side, you're going to paint yourself as a virtuous one, but you may have dipped into anti-virtue as well. And Steinsalt tries to synthesize this, and which is why I thought it was an interesting way of resolving the bracha of Allah. But if we re-examine more deeply these two seemingly contradictory approaches, we shall see that the contradiction between them is in fact imaginary, for they do not deal with one and the same issue. Maybe Deborah, you were saying something similar to this. There are in fact two paths, both of which go in the middle between extremities. But the golden mean, Maimonides, and the horse's path, as Kutzker says it, are not at all identical. The horse's path is the horse-like average between extremes and is the necessary result of lack of power and courage to take one of the extreme ways. People who cannot muster energies and devote themselves totally to something, anything, always walk in the middle, wanting to please everyone, pleasing no one. Being always haunted by various motivations in every way, they make silly compromises between things. They measure the middle path with the standards of their smallness and try to walk there, but in truth it is the path of horses. That's his defending the Kutzker's way of think, thinking. The golden mean, Maimonides on the other hand, is not just the average between extremes. In fact, the golden mean is the merging of extremes. It is made for people who are full of true passion and great enthusiasm, people who can take both extremes together and who therefore constitute in their soul the inner merging of both extremes. I thought this was significant to talk about as Jews, this does not need to be my therapy session, but I think about this all the time as a rabbi, and a rabbi of a wonderfully heterogeneous mixed community of Jews, and mixed community of Americans, and mixed community of Zionists, and Jews and Americans and Zionists who are convinced in many ways because of our polarized society that they're right and the other side is wrong, and that might even be true. Not just a little bit wrong, but ultimately wrong. And I think about almost every day, what is the rabbi's role in this? 
right? And what does it mean to live a Maimonidean way of uh, trying to stay in between the extremes, but not in such a way that becomes the Kutzker's understanding of the middle path, which is just avoiding the hard decisions and the hard um, judgments about what's happening in our world. Um, when anyone might um, be um, furious at me for refusing to take a stance on something that they would very much want me to take a stance on, which ineluctably would then um, infuriate many, many people on the other side of the very thing, um, I'd like to think that maybe I can uh, I could be seen as trying to do it the Maimonidean way and not the Kutzker Rebbe's way, and I don't always do it perfectly. Um, but this is something that has been in front of the Jewish people since we were given the opportunity to choose blessing or curse. And um, every one of us is involved in that um, process all the time. And I think we should be um, sensitive and generous to one another as we're walking those pathways. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.